Welcome to the Guest X Podcast, where my co-host Brian O'Malley and I uncover the latest technologies and human-driven initiatives that are raising customer expectations and forever changing how we define customer experience across a host of industries. If you are passionate about creating incredible content and unique experiences, join us as we talk to leading product and experience experts across the globe and learn about how today's most successful brands are setting themselves apart from the competition. Welcome to the another episode of the Guest X Podcast. I'm your co-host, Matthew Loney, with my co-host, Mr. Guest Experience, Brian O'Malley. Brian, it's Friday. It's uh, go, getting ready to go into the Thanksgiving weekend. What are you doing next week? We are staying, well, let me rephrase. We're staying in Ocala, our second home. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, you're going to a horse something or other, I'm guessing. We are. We- I'm driving the RV up to the farm so my daughter can train some more. For the do, do the one percenters do they celebrate thanksgiving like the rest of us or are you guys like i mean how, how exactly does that work are the turkeys made of gold they are they are but but yeah. you know better than i would oh, sh- no, I, i'm gonna yeah. be cooking on outdoor grills and, and and stuff so i don't know well so we're spending monday through wednesday there and then coming back thursday and cooking up a feast for the family good for you good for you uh so before we get to, I'm excited about today because it is uh, a another you know a, a great startup that's um, that's coming alive here. Really recently, just really announced it at Verma. As far as I think is the it was really kind of the kickoff event. So I'm excited to talk to these guys. Uh, before we get into that, though, we 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 recorded a, another episode just the other day, and we kind of talked about. Uh, another acquisition, another roll up in the tech space with TNS acquiring rented makes a lot of sense there. And then today we get word of another one, Lexicon being acquired by Red Awning. This one, I don't quite, it's not that I don't understand. I mean, like it's, it's a logical play, right? But I'm a little more, this one, I, I maybe it's an opportunistic play. I you haven't really heard a lot from Red Awning. Um, and those guys, I mean, I, I know they, they really kind of buttoned down the hatches during COVID. I'm sure that there's a, you know, it's kind of just more of a third party distribution play maybe. And there's some, probably some tech synergies there, Brian, but I, I don't know that this one's a little more interesting. I think it's uh, a little bit on the unit count. Uh, so they need to find their units again. And I also think they need team. So Lexicon, I think built up a, a fairly decent team. And Red Awning needs that support, from what I understand. So maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know. I'd love to see how this is going to play out in the in the marketplace. I want to know where all these people are getting so much money from, and get <laughs> access to it, and start doing some acquisitions myself. But uh, either way, this will be an interesting acquisition. Yeah, it will. And I do think that, again, what we've said from the beginning is that there's got to be a bunch of these tech roll-ups. Some of these technology companies are going to get stuck just with bad timing and it's getting tougher to raise cash. And depending upon if you had just raised cash, you may, you know, make it through all of this. But I think some of them are thinking about just how do we live beyond, you know, maybe the the oncoming recession. And there's a strength, right, to consolidate a little bit. I'd love Obviously, we'll never get to see them, but I'd love on the back end to see how some of these deals are structured. I think more of these deals are structured as as an equity play than a cash play than what they would like us to believe. And, and again, I have no insight into the TNS deal 
or today's red awning deal, but my gut tells me there's more equity, you know, rolling over, you know, existing equity or exchanging existing equity for equity in the new entity than there is cash in some of these deals, which which makes sense. Um, sometimes that's the cheaper way to buy them. So we'll see. There's there's going to be more to come. I think the next six months, there's going to be quite a few of these. I've seen two in a week. So, hey, speaking of tech and and kind of that startup community, like I said earlier, really cool uh, concept that we're going to be talking about today. You want to do a little intro? Let's do it. This morning, we're speaking with the founders of Blue Cedar Partners, the parent company of The 100 Collection. Rebecca Lombardo is a sought-after strategic-minded marketer. Rebecca has played instrumental roles in many influential companies in the hospitality space, most recently, True Place and Ventori. In addition to being a co-founder of the 100 Collection, Travis Wilburn is also the managing partner founder of the Stay Charlottesville Management Group, a portfolio of tourism and hospitality-related businesses uh, in the greater Charlottesville area that consists of boutique hotels, vacation rentals, events, and event venues. That was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, Thank you. Thanks here. for having us. So before we get started, give us um, just a, a couple, you know, 30 seconds of a little bit of your backgrounds and then give us uh, a little bit of insight into what you guys are doing with the Hunter Collection. Sure. I'll start first. Um, so I have a background actually in journalism and travel media, uh, in addition to uh, having a chief marketing officer role within the vacation rental space. So very excited to talk about the 100 Collection with you today. And I, um, just like a lot of our industry, built a uh, guest house in an urban market back in 2007 behind my main house. And everybody thought I was totally crazy because I was told everybody I was going to rent it out nightly. We're like, ah, oh, that's never going to work. And ended up, uh, those were the old days where you had a credit card machine next to the couch. You had a type of the numbers, you didn't have a credit card. Nobody had the uh, virtual credit card processing, if you will. And so whole away VRBO, those were glorified Craigslist. Started up at the stage also in 2010. Um, there were probably 20, 30 listings on VRBO, Homeway, a couple other sites. By 2012, they're nearly tripled. I was like, this is going to become a really expensive game to play um, if we got to do these, you know, glorified Craigslist ads. And so I built an event venue. Everybody's like, oh, you're growing horizontally. And I was like, well, it's actually really vertical. It's just kind of the same thought as a hotel, heads and beds. And, you know, an event venue is a marketing machine. And year after that, I built up a wine tour company. Um, Charlottesville was known for weddings and wine. And then uh, built a couple of other things. And next thing I knew, I had this giant marketing machine that allowed me to remain relatively independent from uh, OTAs. And so I've been keeping my finger on the pulse of what's been going on within that world for you know nearly over a decade. Wow, that's really interesting. So you took, you started with vacation rentals, own hotels, boutique hotels, and event venues. You basically have built yourself out an entire ecosystem. And now you're venturing into building out the 100 collection. Tell us about what you guys are doing there, why you're building it, and how that's going to start to benefit the ecosystem. Because I think what you guys are doing, if I understand it correctly, is something that's really needed in the industry. Well, thank you for that. I, I would say uh, we've been very quiet about what we've been doing for a number of years, um, ironically. But uh, yeah, it's definitely very needed. But I would say that um, as you guys well know, it's like running um, a vacation rental management group. You've got to be a lot of different things. You've got to be the chief revenue officer, the chief marketing officer, the chief of owner acquisition, the chief of you know knowing listings. You've got to have your finger on so many different pulses, right? 
And so you might live in the snow or in the beach, but you're generally so buried in the sand or that snow. Uh, they have all these different arrows getting shot at you and it's really hard to remain independent. And, um, you know, we have this beautiful woman who's 72 years old. Sorry that I said that now, uh, over for, you know, she, and you know, it's like, I wish she was my mother. She has more energy, um, than anybody I've ever met. And she is one of the last independent players on Purdue to key. And you know, just desperate for a, a group that she can actually trust and realize that it has her best interest. You know, while I'm wearing a 100 collection hat today, I often wear my vacation role management hat first and foremost. That's fascinating. Yeah. The, uh, you know, what's interesting to me. So I think as we talk about scalability of this industry, I, I really I think that's more and more kind of the, the big question that everyone's trying to solve. Right. I, that, I think what we've seen so far is that it doesn't scale real well at the operational level. Uh, Vacasa has really struggled. Uh, there's no question. There's no denying that, right? The stock shows it. But where we are seeing some success, I would say, is in some of the franchise systems. You know, iTrip has certainly had some some success. Casa Go now, Grand Welcome's in there, you know, and, th and there's others and more and more coming. And I think you're starting to see some success in the Marriott Homes and Villas space, which is, again, scaling without having to be the operator. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rebecca and Travis, but I think that's a little bit of what the 100 collection, right, is, is trying to aggregate these really good operators, provide some uh, cross-branding coordination among the guest acquisition side of it, but allowing the tough part that is scalable, the, the operations there to remain independent. Is that is that how you guys see it? Yeah, we're we're basically using our firepower to support all of these, like you said, lovely independent, you know, unique and boutique brands everywhere um, who have passed the vetting process. So if you go to any other site, to book, you're going to see a collection of brands that sit under, you know, one operating company. What we've done is basically created the old school, like Zagat guide, right? Where it's like, you want a Michelin star, you want a Zagat guide. You want to know that no matter what you pick, um, no matter what's, where it's located, you're going to get that quality experience every single time. So, yeah, I mean, to that point, like right now, one of my favorite questions in this industry, and I've asked this over 150 times, right? So if you, if you guys come visit me in Charlottesville and stay at one of our greatest stages out in the wine country, and you want to find that exact same experience in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which company do you go to? Who's the number one player in Jackson Hole? Oh, yeah. I know. Crickets yeah, every rough, single yeah. time, even though that's one of the largest markets, right? And so before I answer that part, you know, back in 2010 and 11, and ironically, partially born out of Charlottesville, brand and loyalty were a huge issue for the airlines and hotels. They were losing their market share to the OTAs. IAC was filling up. 50% of the plane for Delta and they were raising the fees, right? And so the supply kept on having to pay more, pay more. And they were freaking out and brand and loyalty were born out of 2010 and 11, uh, book direct. Um, and it started with that. And we've been talking about this now for nearly a decade, right? And so going back to Charlottesville, I know that if you have a great experience with me, I can now actually show that same guest 50, then 60, then 70, then 80 plus other destinations. 
throughout the United States and then very soon the rest of North America and then starting you know, next year, Europe. And you know, to what Rebecca was saying, the hardest thing of what we're doing, out of this combination of the James Beard Award, which normally follows a chef, and the Michelin Star, which follows a restaurant, uh, the very, very toughest thing that we're doing is actually vetting people to make sure that they are truly the best representation of their community. Um, because we know to what you guys spoke on earlier, it's a lot of these larger companies aren't keeping that intact and that's where they're falling apart. I know that if I sell my company in Charlottesville, Virginia, I want to live in Charlottesville and I've got 65 homeowners that I actually love. I'm going to run into them in a coffee shop in three years. And if I go send them up to a company that's just going to nickel and dime them, they're going to throw their coffee on me in three months. And I'd rather actually hold on to my company, run it really well and be a part of the larger system that's actually helping me. Quite frankly, like I can't afford Rebecca Lombardo, you know, former chief marketing officer or our head of PR that literally is the person to help run the Mission Star and the James Beard Award or quite a few other folks as well. And, you know, we've essentially been building this Super Bowl team to be able to dump down on independent VRMs with the same amount of services that they would get, you know, from these billion dollar roll ups, if you will. And so, um, ultimately, I think that if, uh, until we as an industry can answer, quickly who the best player is in Jackson Hole or Park City or Telluride or Destin, Florida, um, and be able to point the finger that way. It's like, of course, like the OTAs are going to continue to win. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, people have tried to tackle this problem. I know for a fact, you know, there were a few companies that came out of the European market. Plum Guide tried it. They were fairly successful in trying to put together some sort of a guide and guidelines. I think they had a 72 step process to be able to qualify and that et cetera, et cetera. But I imagine you guys have thought through this fairly significantly to be able to pull this off. So talk to us about what that vetting process looks like. How do people qualify? Uh, what, are you, what are you guys looking for? So I, the first thing I would answer, because some of this is a little bit into the secret sauce, but both of you were at Verma. You probably saw quite a few people wearing 100 collection hats, correct? There's a lot of people that weren't wearing 100 collection hats as well. And so behind us is just a lot of huge industry players that also have been in, you know, this industry for 10, 20, 30 plus years. And we've got a great vetting process on the people and the operations that people are not aware of. And it starts with a looking at the people that first and foremost, we do not want bad players. And we've been very serious about that. And then it becomes, um, about a certain collection of their properties. Um, we all know that, uh, you know, we might manage 100, 200, 300 properties, but not all 300 of those properties deliver 100% of the time. And that's what the guest is looking for. The guest right now is so desperate for a curated experience that they're willing to pay companies like Inspirato, you know, huge monthly membership fees just so that they can trust that, you know, the average of three weeks of vacation that they, that one week with their family is going to deliver the experience that they're hoping for. And that's really one of the huge things that we're also solving for as well. It's interesting. Yeah. Cause I do think the, the guidelines, um, and, uh, the standards are really, are really important. And the, have you yet, and maybe, maybe you have it, but obviously the, the balance there for the 100 collection then is going to be, I would think, You've got to have enough inventory to satisfy the consumers across a wide enough geography that I, because you know, if you go, if you go to 
the one Iron Collection or Marriott Homes of Villas or any of these distribution points, right? If I go there two or three times and the place I'm looking to search, either there is no inventory or the inventory is too sparse, you tend to not go back. But at the same time, to your point, Travis, if I go once or twice and it doesn't meet the standards that I was expecting, I happen not to go back. So is that one of the early challenges for the 100 collection is finding that right balance of being in enough markets to be relevant and with the right inventory, but also keeping up the standards? Yeah, I mean, so keeping up the standards, I think, I mean, that's one of the onboarding and one of the, you know, the questions that, you know, ahead of time that um, we're making sure that people are adhering before you even get on, the, on with them. Um, but to answer your point, I, I think, yes, I mean, ultimately the guest needs an answer for every destination, right? So they might go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, but they also need to know Blue Ridge, Georgia. If the guest is looking for it, you need to be able to solve an answer. And we need to make sure that we find a right partner. And so, you know, again, the hardest part is making sure that, um, you know, some markets might have one person there and they may or may not be a good fit. And there is no in between for us filtering through that process and making sure that they're adhering to, you know, community standards, but followed by safety standards, which are really crucial for our industry, regardless of whether or not you're with us or not. Um, that is one of the things that we see that's creating more regulations um, than anything else is not adhering to those safety standards, um, as well as hospitality standards. And so there's a reason a lot of hotels change out their upholstery, as an example, you know, every seven to eight years. You know, you know, our couches take more wear and tear in a vacation rental than just about anything else. And it's like, we need to be doing the exact same thing. Yeah, and the, the great thing, Matt, is that we're not building a directory. This is not an all-encompassing directory, right? This is this is a bucket list. Um, and so you, you were looking for something where it's like, someday I would like to do this there, right? And so you'll be able to get that consistency by adhering to those standards and not feeling like, you have to accomplish everything. Um, you're, you're really just curating here. And then the other thing we're kind of putting on its head is how you approach booking. Right now, everybody books a vacation rental as through the path of least resistance, as Travis likes to say, where you're looking for a room and a budget and a place. But when they go to book hotels, it's on the flip side where it's like they're looking for a brand. And with that brand, they have certain expectations and they walk away happier. If you book through a brand, like what we're doing on the 100 collection by putting you know, the brand first. And then once you are like, I love this brand, I love everything they're doing, where they're doing it. And then you go and see their collection, the top 10 to 20 properties that have been vetted. Like, oh, those are not available. There are still the rest of their inventory. You're still going to have a good experience, but now your expectations have been managed from the absolute get-go. And I feel like that's going to help as well. And I think one of the the big differences too, is like homes and villas, by the way, I mean, people might be surprised to hear me say those, but I'm so glad they're actually in our space. Um, that means that Marriott is not coming after us, but at the end of the day, they're an OTA. Um, and we are not, uh, we're not a transactional platform. We'll never be a transactional platform. Why we can't get into the secret sauce here. Uh, we're actually teaching vacation room managers how to make money, um, better money. We're helping them protect their management fees. Um, ultimately at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to ask this question, but I love asking it. You know, if you guys were going to go to Miami, Florida, and you had the opportunity between the Fairfield Inn and the Ritz-Carlton at $200 a night, which one are you going to stay in? And if the Ritz-Carlton is at $300 a night and Fairfield's at $200, which one are you going to stay in at $400? At some point, price might break you, right? Um, but I can certainly tell you who the day's in or the budget in or the Fairfield in on a natural level is, you know, in the vacation rental space. But I certainly can't tell you who the Ritz-Carlton is. And when I talk about Ritz-Carlton, I talk about Ritz-Carlton delivers experience every single time. 
if something goes wrong at the Ritz Carlton, you have five people there with white gloves, pouring new champagne, and you hope something else goes wrong. Um, but that's one of the things that um, our industry needs to, to resolve. And I think that all of uh, the people that are in our collection, all of the local doyens are able to do that. And then also at the end of the day, would you rather your property be managed by the Fairfield Inn or the Ritz Carlton? You'd actually pay more to have it managed by the Ritz Carlton. And then you have a lot of national companies um, that are doing a race to the bottom in individual markets to try to lower that management fee because they have a lot of money behind them. Clearly, right. we, you know, we know that that's not working, but the protection of the independent BRM is what this is all about. Which, by the way, is what we're calling a doyen. I know Travis threw that word out, so I just wanted to make sure I clarified. I just but, like dropping it. Yeah. yeah. A, a doyen is the most respected person in their space. So that's what we're doing when we say the vacation rental manager. I hope you're branding that. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I've been branding it for years. And so, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, you know, Rebecca knows this, but this project was supposed to launch in first quarter of 2020. And that little COVID thing happened. And I remember, you know, like it was yesterday when I was supposed to launch this and in the middle of February, I, I saw Wuhan, China, and it was totally empty. And I was like, man, this is going to be the US. And, you know, there a month later, one of the very large partners in the Outer Banks called me and said, hey, I don't think we're going to make it. I'm like, well, if you're not going to make it, we're certainly not going to make it. And so what's crazy to me is like we hit, you know, we had to hit the pause button in March of that year. And, you know, we, as we all know, Mark, you know, 2020 wasn't the time to start a company for, for anybody. And 2021, we were all just trying to hold on to the reins if you will, you know, as tight as we possibly could. And then, you know, we started getting phone calls, you know, Hey, you guys are going to do this again. And, you know, after COVID, I think it took the energy out of a lot of us. And we, uh, you know, we're, I'm quite passionate about this space and, you know, I wanted to find a co-founder who was as, as passionate about it uh, as I, and, you know, it took over eight months to try to find Rebecca. And then I think it was like independence day that, uh, of this past year, which, uh, three different people hit us up in the industry all at the same time. Like, you got to talk to this person. And ultimately, I mean, I think it's a testament to Rebecca, but I also think it's a testament to our industry. You know, you've got over 17,000 allegedly vacation role management companies in the U.S. alone. And I still think it's a small industry. Uh, I think we all know each other. And I think that's the fun part of like working this vetting system behind the scenes of, you know, trying to get, you know, the creme de la creme to the top um, so that we can best represent each destination. Talk to us about your approach with branding then, Rebecca, because that, that is a very important aspect to what you guys are doing. I mean, you have the, the branding, on, branding and marketing on the PM side, but then you've also got this massive exercise on the guest side. What is your thought process behind the brand? And then how far are you guys going into the homes with, this, with the branding? Uh, are you guys co-branding? Are you guys requiring the PMs to do certain things inside of the home so that it is recognized? That's a good question. It was actually, we called it a branding challenge because we wanted to have this elevated brand that stood for quality, like literally setting the gold standard for the industry, but we didn't want to be known as luxury only. So that was a fairly, you know, healthy exercise to go through. And so I have a a friend who helped bring the Michelin star to the U.S. Uh, in the PR effort. And so that's who we brought on to do our PR. Uh, I have a friend who works for Disney as an artist, and that's who designed our logo. Uh, the company that designed the website for the Ritz-Carlton, that's who designed our website. So it was like, I take branding very seriously. as <laughs> a lot of people who know me. Um, so I wanted it to look like something that everybody wanted to be a part of um, because it was raising the bar uh, for the entire industry. Um, and then obviously disseminating that out to all of our partners as well. 
And then when it comes to stuff within the house, you know, we, we want the owner to feel the love of, you know, congrats. You you're one of one percent of seventeen thousand. I mean, that's awesome. So we are putting together um, kind of a curated selection of branded items that can be placed throughout the home that are quality that display the 100 collection on it. It's not required, but we'll we'll have it available if, if anybody wants to purchase it and put it in the in the property, like cheese boards, cutting boards, you know, wine coolers, branded ice cubes, like nice stuff um, that people are going to be proud to display in their house. But I think ultimately the question, you know, too, that you guys kind of asked a little bit earlier is like when an OTA has to build, you know, guest traffic, they have to build it and have it all come to one site, right? And the way that we're building this is that we're looking for best-in-class operators that have been in the industry for a long time, for the most part. And they already have a huge amount of guests and they have a huge amount of website traffic. And once they realize all the different pieces of what we're doing and how we're doing it, they're actually utilizing their own assets to benefit the collective because they get it. They are also passionate about our industry and they realize that our main goal is just very simple. It's like keep an independent vacation role manager in their chair, best representing the community and giving the tools. And it's like, if, if we could be a castle, it's like we're dumping a castle over top of that person. And so that's, what's been really fun is that, um, you know, you, you've got websites that get 200,000, you know, a month, unique visitors, you've got 20,000, you've got 10,000. And we're actually aggregating, um, a lot of that, that different eco or those different ecosystems to be able to benefit our community. And so the scary part for the, you know, larger companies that are listening is like our ability to scale, we can move really, really fast. And so. I think it's become uh, somewhat of a joke, but it's, um, you know, it takes about an hour and a half for us to get through the process after we've done, you know, a couple of the checks and balances to get somebody onboarded. The hardest part though, is for them to get us the stuff, because as you guys well know, it's the independent DRM and it's like, they're generally drowning or, you know, pretty buried in day to day. And then from the marketing side on the back end, I'm able to introduce some of our partners guests to to others. So it's like, I can see that you went and visited this destination on our website and checked out these partners, um, but you haven't been to this other destination and checked out these partners, which are very, very similar. And so I can do remarketing, retargeting on the back end as well. Again, just providing the kind of support you would normally get under one rolled up brand umbrella. You guys talked a little earlier about that, you know, you're, you're not trying to be a booking engine. So can you go into or or do you currently disclose kind of how the economics work? Is it, you know, a subscription fee for the number of homes I've got or or how that's going to work? Or is that that's something that no. kind of disclosed once you get in, you know, once you've been accepted into the collection? It is something that's disclosed that's once you're accepted in the collection and it's really us showing, you know, each vacation rental manager has you know, variable expenses on onboarding a property. And so we're showing them and teaching them um, and giving them, if you will, quite a few larger arrows in their quiver um, to go to get new owners. And so, you know, we're not making money off of their back. And quite frankly, um, the amount of money that we're making from that is, is not significant. You guys, we talked a little bit earlier about loyalty and there are a lot of great relationships, I think, in the private jet space, the credit card space, the home goods space which we can build a loyalty program that also doesn't take money out of their pocket, um, but also helps increase spending. And so the thing I love talking about is like, I'm a complete Delta points lover. And so I'm at, I'm at platinum right now. I've been at platinum for three years. I have $5,000 left to spend this year before I'm diamond. 
it makes, I have absolutely nowhere to go. I might jump on the plane and just fly to China and put my foot down and jump right back on that plane. But I will spend $5,000 before the end of the year so that I can get to that diamond status. That's actually a loyalty program. And so I think a lot of us build individual loyalty programs and I think they should stay in place. We've got those built into our owner's agreements and they're hyper-local, but on a global scale, one of the things that we're doing with all of our partners that we're very upfront about, we will build, be building a loyalty program that actually means something to not only their owners, but to their guests as well. It actually helps drive revenue, which is exactly what the airlines and the hotels did in 2010 and 11. Yeah. I mean, I, I am, I've been beating this drum for a while. I think a loyalty program is really important in this industry. Um, and, and I think for the owners uh, and the guests is a, is a really valid point you know, of the owner side. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of been thinking about more from the guest side, but I think from the owner side uh, right now, supply you know, is still really important. Uh, I actually think we've become a little supply too supply focused. Um, and I think it's time to return to the demand focused a little bit, but regardless, it's not a hotel. So supply is always going to be really important. You don't own the supply. So you've got to always have the best supply uh, that you can. And we all know supply is not equal, right? It, uh, the same, you know, two different homes that take the same amount of time can drive drastically different revenue for the property manager. So even being able to um, swap out inefficient supply for, for really efficient supply, I think is, is that's how the really smart operators, I think in this space. So when you think about that, I think that's going to be really important, right, Travis? And, and also Rebecca, you brought up some really good points about how you guys brand it. It's going to be really important to show how you can help these operators increase their their overall revenue because really you're asking them to some extent to be that soft brand attached to them and to the extent that they help promote the one under collection there's a chance that rebecca gets really good at her retargeting and moves someone who was going to go to tahoe these past five summers now I'm, they're going to hawaii because of something they saw in the one under collection again i'm not saying that's bad but that is kind of the fear, right? Probably of some of these operators is that, that it could, you know, it's got to be a net gain. And that's where I think you guys can show that maybe through the loyalty program. Well, so the irony in the situation is I can actually already do it. Um, so what I've done on a local level, as we talked about at the beginning of this call, this ecosystem that I built hyper local to Charlottesville. So ironically, one of the people um, that work for our group, who's uh, in charge of our customer success actually used to uh, manage all of my revenue in my portfolio and half of my portfolio, all the upper end half has ever booked once on an OTA, not once. And it actually does anywhere between hundred to 130% better because we're not relying on OTAs. That being said, our lower and our smaller inventory does. Um, we do compete against different hotels on a one bedroom or two bedroom. And, you know, we use revenue management from the pricing schools to be able to, uh, increase occupancy and ADR. But going back in regards to kind of the curation of the property, one of the toughest things that we ever do as a vacation world manager, we go into a home, we love the location, we love the bones of the house. And then we look at that couch and we're like, my God, that's awful. Somehow I have to insult that homeowner, right? And so now I can say, hey, by the way, Jane Doe, like this property is really great. And look at this portfolio of properties within our collection that is independently reviewed. 
they're all sold out. They do better here on the metrics, but they'll never pass this property. If you've got this stained couch, you should really replace that. Make us the bad guy. And then we can repeat that. And so repeat that exact same message because we would never let something like that get through. And so, you know, from an owner acquisition standpoint, it's a great tool. You know, recently in Charlottesville, uh, we were looking at, uh, you know, a very large estate, which was going to be the largest estate with our portfolio. And I could just see the owners, you know, they were about to negotiate our management sheet. They were at nickel and dime. I was like, they, uh, they're like, well, we're going to be the nicest part of your portfolio. And I was like, actually, you're not. By the way, it's like, here's the lead singer of Metallica's house in Vail, Colorado. Rents for $6,500 a night. It's $18.5 million. That's also a part of the collection that you're going to be in. And the owner stopped right then and there in the track. And it's like, that was the end of the discussion. It was like, we're going to sign the management contract. Um, and it's like, you know, right now, you know, and this is what's getting utilized against us. It's like, you have these larger companies that are doing that same very thing. It's, you know, they're going to start building and getting more advanced and in theory, you know, understand what they're doing, but they're going to start showing their larger network and trying to be able to build upon that to, to retain owners. And, you know, you as a hyper-local company, you know, you might just have a property management group and you've got to be competitive. And, you know, hopefully this is a tool that doesn't cost you any money um, as long as you're doing a great job within your your market that provides you a lot of those those same opportunities as those much larger capitalized groups. Yeah, because I, I think the whole thing is keeping them in the vacation rental ecosystem, right? So so that's, it's not, you know, one destination versus another. Most people will probably say, I, I have to go to this location for this event, or my family is within driving distance of this location. Opening up their eyes to other locations is, is great, but it keeps them in the vacation rental ecosystem rather than having somebody compete against staying in a hotel when they get there. I find it fascinating. I think owner acquisition is a really important one. I think standardization of vacation rentals is another tool that you guys could go into. Um, you know, they can leverage uh, you guys as a tool to say, these are the standard items that we need to see in house, coffee makers, linen qualities, pillows, which is something that we battle with as property managers all the time. Like, how do you get a proper, how do you get a homeowner? Because at the end of the day, we're at the mercy of the homeowner spending money inside of the house. How do we get that homeowner to upgrade their house, have good quality inventory so that we can then service the guests the right way? This is a perfect tool for that uh, and the retention side of it. I mean, if you do these things, you're going to see the bookings. It's just, it's a fact. So I, I think what you guys are doing is fascinating. I think it's, uh, it's exciting to see it come through. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming out to the show today. Uh, it's been really exciting. We hope to have you guys up back on soon uh, and give us an update on how the 100 collection's going. Thanks We're for having us. Thank you. Yeah. That's it for this week's episode of Guest X. Be sure to sign up for our email list at guestxpodcast.com. That's guest, the letter X, podcast.com. And follow us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. He is Mr. Guest Experience, Brian O'Malley, and I'm Matthew Loney. Signing off and reminding you to always create a customer experience worth talking about. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.